0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. It's beautiful to be here with you guys today and to be here to listen and hear God's Word and what He has to say to us. Praise God, He's always faithful. Whenever we ask, He's faithful to answer. So our uh, title of today's service today is Religious Hypocrisy Part 3. But before we start, if you join me in a word of prayer for ourselves and for protection and all that stuff, Lord, so let's uh, let's begin. Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. And thank you for your awesome holiness and your goodness and your love. That Lord, if it be your will, Lord, if you'd have your will to be done, Lord, everybody on earth would be saved. That's how much you love us. Every one of us, Lord. You would have even loved to save Pharaoh, but he wouldn't come to you. So Lord, thank you for your salvation that you give us all. Thank you for this new church and thank you for this wisdom that you've given me to teach today and all the things that you've given me to say. I pray, Lord God, for the hearer, would be filled with your wisdom, and then not just hear, but do. And I pray, Lord, as I speak, that you'd give me just powerful words, Lord, not in of myself, Lord, but of you. And I pray your spirit would go forth. Again, Lord, I ask you this, that your spirit would go forth and touch all those that would hear anywhere, everywhere, wherever this message goes, and that those people would be touched by your words, too. And I pray you'd Bind Satan, Lord God. And I pray you get him out of this place. I pray he would not be able to whisper in our ears, Lord, or be able to attack us while we're sitting here listening, that we'd be able to be focused on you and the things which you have to tell us for godly living. And I ask this all and I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if we want to go to Matthew chapter 6, go down to verse 16 through 18, and although it may only be three verses, today we probably have more scripture to be read than any other week in the history of this church, even though we only have three verses here. So, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16, let's read it over, the three verses, and we'll discuss it. So we have Jesus here, still on the mountain, preaching the same sermon on the mountain. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So our last Section of scripture here today deals with hypocrisy in the Christian principle of fasting. This is the last section in this chapter that deals with hypocrisy and Christian principles as far as duties, things that God wants us to do. I am not going to go through the don'ts and the big do's and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about not fasting or fasting the improper way. We will cover it over. I'm going to teach these first three verses kind of at a quick glance, maybe about 10 minutes, maybe to 15 minutes. And then the Lord has really impressed it on my heart this week to talk about fasting for our Christian lives and what it means and why we do it. And so let's get through these first three verses. And... uh, We'll move on and talk about fasting as a whole. Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. So right off the bat, how do we know this is a Christian principle? Moreover, when you fast. Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. The fact that he said when, not if, means that he's saying I know you're going to fast, so when you're fast, when you fast. And basically, as we know, the whole context of this three verses is, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assure- Surely I say to you, they have their reward. So he's warning people that are wanting to follow him. I want you to fast, but this is how you're not supposed to fast right away. Don't make your face sad and put marks on you and go walk around. Ooh, oh, my goodness. Oh, poor me. Oh, I'm so hungry. I just, oh, oh! why are you hungry, sir? Oh, I'm fasting unto the Lord. That kind of person is wanting somebody to approach them. They're wanting somebody to notice that they're fasting because why? They're not again praying to the Father who is in secret they're wanting really their religious duty to be open so that people see what they're doing and really go, Oh wow, that's such a holy religious guy. Whoa, wow. He's must be really holy. He's fasting. Oh, I I can't go without food. Once again, that person only wants the glory from men. They don't want to get they don't want to let their fasting be known to God and their prayers be known to God. They want to get glory from men. So as that, they can get their reward, as Jesus said, uh, that they have their reward. So he tells us, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So this is just to take a little oil, olive oil, put a little oil on your head. And then after you put your oil on your head and you make your covenant to God, God, today I won't X, Y, Z, whatever. I won't eat food. I won't drink Pepsi, I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't, you know, Lord, watch TV, whatever. Whatever you're going to do, put the oil on your head, wash your face, and then just don't do it. And then all day long, who? the only person that's going to see your fast is going to be God. He's going to see your fast, not the people that are around you. Now, of course, we have, uh, today we have a huge contradiction we have uh, the Catholic faith. And um, if you guys have ever heard of Ash Wednesday, well, Ash Wednesday is a huge contradiction to what Jesus talks about here in this scripture today. Um, I'll read it right off to you. This is www.catholic.org. And it says under Ash Wednesday, In the Catholic Church, Ash Wednesday is observed by fasting, abstinence from meat, and repentance. A day of... Contemplating one's transgressions or sins. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer also designates Ash Wednesday as a day of fasting. In the medieval period, Ash Wednesday was the required annual day of penitential confession, penitence basically, confession occurring after fasting and uh, the remittance of the tithe. So, again, what did Jesus just say? Is it really that hard? When you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, and walk around so that only God can see your fasting and your dedication and your devotion to Him. What does the Catholic Church teach? Ash Wednesday. If you've ever seen it, because I don't know anybody here in America that hasn't, they put ashes on their head, they go to a service in the morning or in the evening or something, they put ash on their forehead, and they walk around all day long with that ash on their forehead. So that lets people know that they're fasting. What did Jesus say? Do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they defigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. So again, why are we putting ashes on our forehead when Jesus said right here, Matthew six sixteen, don't do that. Anyway, it just it, it, it just frustrates me. I'm sure it frustrates God because again. God looks at them and he considers them hypocrites. And not only are they hypocrites, but they're getting their reward. Remember, somebody that was a hypocrite was a someone that had an outward appearance of being religious, but was not really religious. Again, we go there, we do this religious exercise, we walk around every day, everybody looks at us. and You know, before I was spiritually religious or anything, before 13 years, I would always... Go, you know, walk out before I really knew and I'd see these people with this stuff on their forehead. And sometimes I'd ask me like, well, what, what are you doing? And then, then when they would explain it to me, I'd be like, well, that's stupid because that's I wasn't a Christian or I wasn't religious or anything. So I thought, well, that's stupid. Why would they do that? But then when I read the plain words of Jesus here and he says, don't do that, but yet they do that. I just think to myself, sad, 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 because they're really not even looking at the words of Christ to how they do what they do. They're doing it just because a, a church teaches it, but the, whatever the church is teaching is not lined up with the Bible. So it's, it's really sad. Now, and, and the reason it's really sad is God says we're supposed to fast. <coughs> just like alms and prayer, fasting is a part of the Christian walk with the Lord. Fasting is something that the Lord wants us to practice. How often you fast or what you fast, those things are between you and God. But in essence, God says, "I want you to fast." So finish out verse 18 just so not, and I'm, I probably won't go back to it again or 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to be to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So that's the heart of God in why? You're supposed to fast. You're supposed to fast. That whatever thing you pick unto the Lord, we'll talk about that as we continue to go on today. Um, but do not let people know that you're fasting. Now, there is what they call corporate fast, saying that there is what they call corporate fast. Notice before we move on, Jesus is talking to the individual person that's going to fast and going to pray. The individual, I, I have you know, something I want to fast about. I'm going to fast. Nobody needs to know. But even in in that, if you live in a household and you have a wife or you have kids and they're going to wondering why you're not eating and you can't really lie, so that wouldn't really behoove God to fast. And then when somebody asks you why you're not eating, you can't, can't really go, well, uh, I'm just not hungry. Because, you know, usually when you fast, if I fast food, it ain't half the day over before my stomach is about to eat itself. And, you know, so if I were to say, oh, I'm just not hungry, so... Somebody asks you it that's close to you, you have to kind of spill the beans, but you don't have to make a big production about it. Oh, I'm fasting, because again, you got your reward. So just remember that. And corporate fast, as we'll see in our very first example, when we go to fasting as a whole, corporate fast is really when a group of brothers or a group of Christians get together and they decide to say this thing that we want to do is important to us. So we want, you know, God to move in there or whatever we want you to to happen. And so let's proclaim a fast and let's say a whole group, ten or twenty or thirty people, get together and they proclaim a fast. I've done that before with another church I used to be with. We had a it was Kenya was going through a difficult time and they had a paper up and what do you want to let's let's have a fast for Kenya. Pick your own pick your day. Pick your day that you want to fast and you know let God move in the in the country of Kenya because they were going through a lot of uprising and a lot of terrible things were happening there. So we did. I, I went ahead and picked one of the days out and I fasted. So that and it says in essence like that, you're doing it as a group. But again when you do it, you have to go back to Jesus' rule here. Don't do it to be seen by others. Don't make a big production about it. You do it with the group, do it with the group. Still anoint your head, wash your face, fast. Anybody at work, anybody that's outside the church, they should. nobody should ever know that you're fasting. The end, period, the end. So, <laughs> biblically, we know that Christ says, we want you to fast. We go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, that's fine. Jesus says, this is a a little discourse that Jesus has with the religious leaders. And it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay, the same conversation that Jesus had here is recorded a little bit differently, of course, from the different gospel writers. But Mark's gospel, chapter 2, 18, 19, and 20, and Luke's gospel, uh, chapters 5, 33, and 34. So three out of the four gospel writers had this same remembrance God's direction. And when they wrote their gospel by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they wrote down what God wanted them to write, and then three out of the four gospel writers had this little discourse in there. And for time, because we have a lot to talk about today, we're not going to go into all the others but because there are more, but just for time's sake and just for, you know, if Jesus said it, that we're supposed to fast, and we saw here today, we're supposed to fast. We already saw how we're supposed to fast. Keep the rule of fasting. It's really not that hard unless you want to make it hard, unless you want to be seen by men. Pretty plain, three verses, Do your fast. That's the gist of everything Jesus is saying in these three verses, period, the end. So, as we already saw, it's important to God that we fast, as long as we do it in the right way. But why? Why is it important that we fast? I'm glad you asked. Uh, This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today fasting does a number of things, and we're going to get a lot of scriptures I talked to earlier, but two main reasons why you fast. Two main. There are more, but two main reasons why you fast. Number one, it shows God that you are really serious about a situation in your life that you are struggling with, and you need, you recognize your need for his intervention in whatever it is that you're struggling with. And although you may be praying about it, you may not feel that you're really getting an answer or you're not getting an answer in you know, a certain prescribed time that you've already been praying about something. So when you fast, while you're praying, usually that's when you fast, it shows God, I'm serious, please move in this situation in my life. I need some answers, I need some help. That's the one main reason why somebody fasts. Second main reason would be people generally fast to. Encourage or to grow closer in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, when we're not eating, because we spend a lot of time here in America eating, when we're not eating, what are we going to be doing? Because we're fasting, we're not going to be eating, so what are we going to be doing? You should be going and drawing nearer and closer unto the Lord while you're fasting. That's pretty simple. Two main reasons. Maybe even, back to the first reason, maybe we've had some bad news come up in our lives. Like Esther and the Jews had happened to them in Esther chapter 4 where the Jews had a problem with a man named Haman. So if you're not familiar with the book of Esther, Esther was a a queen in the days of the judges that uh, was taken away captive to a different land outside of Israel. Well, while she was there in this land that God allowed the Jews to go to for judgment upon them because they were not following God, so God said, I want to wake them up and they it, uh, they, he pulled them out and took them captive to another land. A whole big thing came on, and, and uh, the king's wife disobeyed him. So the king had to go searching for other wives in order to be queens. So Esther's this poor little Jewish girl, very beautiful as the scriptures say. but So the king wanted a, a wife, so he kind of interviewed all these women. So Esther, as long story short, got chosen. This is a historical book of the Jews, the book of Esther. Again, it was in the days of the judges of Israel. And so while Esther was queen, there was this man named Haman who had been promoted as the king's kind of one of his counselors. And Haman's problem was, is he hated the Jewish people. Well, along with Esther, there were a lot of Jews that had gone into captivity into this land that they were in. So Haman, being a person who hated Jews, wanted them all dead. Well, he got a chance one day when Mordecai wouldn't listen to him as Haman tried to tell him something, and he kind of got really, really angry at Mordecai, and he kind of tricked the king by getting the king to sign this decree saying that on this certain day, the king would certify and say, yes, all of this people that won't listen to me, I'm going to kill them all in every province of all over the kingdom. Basically, this was a huge, huge huge amount of people that were in danger of death because of this wicked Haman and his desire to kill all the Jews. And he tricked the king. The king signed the paper, gave it a signet ring and he pushed his signet ring into the thing. And it was a done deal. So on a certain day, the Jews, all the Jews, all the people in all the land were going to get together and they were going to kill all the Jewish people. So pretty bad situation. Pretty terrible situation. So in Esther 4, 1 through 3, Mordecai learns about this. It's going to happen. So let's see what he did. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. Now this was, God had given Jews to do this, plus fasting, but God had given this tearing of the clothes and putting on sackcloth and ashes as a way for them to express their brokenness that when you saw a Jew doing this, that means that they were they were desperate. They were at their last. They were they were hurting. They, they had some situation in their life and they were mourning. This was a time of mourning for them when they did this. And mourning is, is great sadness. So he did this. So he went to the midst of the city. So when he went to the midst of the city, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So why did he do that? Mordecai Mordecai basically said, let's fast. This is a terrible situation. It's come upon our people. All of our people are about to die. What are we going to do? We can't rise up again. You know, the Jews of the land were, although they were many, they weren't, of course, part of the king's army. So they didn't have any real weapons or anything. And the masses could easily come and destroy them. So he faced a difficult situation. So he called a fast. He went into the streets, put sackcloth and ashes on, showed the people, I'm mourning, let's get the Jews together, let's fast, because otherwise, maybe if we fast, maybe God will do something and save us from this terrible thing that's going to come upon us. So moreover, also what he did, he also, at this time, Esther, which was related to Mordecai, had already become queen to, to this king that was in this land. And so Mordecai sent her a letter and said, hey, Esther, if you think you're going to be spared from all this disaster that's going to come upon this Jewish people, you got another thing coming. They'll find out that you're Jewish because at the time they didn't know because somehow it had bypassed their side or something. I think it's absolutely divine that God allowed a Jewish, queen to be, or Jewish woman to be queen in an area where there were so many people that hated the Jews, especially like Haman. So Mordecai approaches Esther and says, Esther, you need to go to the king and you need to tell him what happened. So maybe he didn't realize or maybe, you know, this wicked Haman. And so here was the deal with Esther. If you weren't called of the king, no matter who you were. And you tried to appear before him to ask something of him. He could, if he extended his scepter to you, he had a scepter. And if he extended the scepter to you and pulled it back, that meant you were okay. But anybody that come before the king that he didn't call could die immediately. It was illegal kingdom law, king's laws. If you approached the king without being called, you died. So Esther called, says back to Mordecai, you know that it's illegal for anyone to appear before the king unannounced, without being called, what what am I supposed to do? And then that's when Mordecai kind of tells her, hey, you think you're going to escape? You need to go do this because it's going to get you. So she says, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, verse 16 of that same chapter. Go gather all the Jews who are present in, in Shusan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, well, I'll perish then. But what was the first thing she did? She was faced with a life or death situation. She knew that it was going to get her no matter what. She knew they were going to find out if she was a Jew. But she also knew she had a responsibility to her people being queen, that she had to try to do something. You can't just go, even if she would have escaped, you can't just go out and watch probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of your people be eradicated when you might be able to stop it. So what's the first thing she did? She didn't rush right in. Hey, king, I got something to tell you. What did she do? Okay, I see i got to do something. Hey, you know what? I need God's favor in this situation of my life because I don't know what's going to happen to me. So let's fast for three days and three nights. Let's get God's attention and call out to God and say, God, please, you know, while you're fasting, generally you're praying, please, I'm going to go see the king. What's going to happen? I just don't know. Well, end of story. I'll save you from it. A lot of scripture to go through today. Esther goes ahead and she goes on in before the king. The king extends the scepter to her. He invites her to. She invites him to dinner. Where a couple different times at dinner, she basically spills the beans about why is there some person throughout the land is, has uh, has decreed this and they've done it with your signet ring and you know what are you going to do, king? Because the king loved Esther. She, he was a very she was a very good woman and he loved her very much. God had put that within her or put that within the king. So the king ended up finding out that it was. Haman, and the king totally obliterated Haman and all his household. But what was Esther's reaction to the terrible thing that she went through? It was fasting and prayer. She fasted, and look what happened. God saw their fast and heard their prayer and delivered them out of the evil that they were caught up in. He delivered them out of the disasters that they were in. Maybe we'll have things like that happen to us. Maybe not life or death, but Maybe our cars will break down. We won't have any money to fix them. Maybe all of a sudden, someday we might find ourselves homeless, nowhere to go. Maybe we need a job and we just can't find a job and nobody will hire us. Maybe where there's a serious illness and we're sick for no reason and nobody can find a cure and you've been to every doctor What should you do? No matter what terrible situation we go through in life, we should be praying through it. But sometimes it doesn't seem like we are getting an answer that we want. What's our next step? Not only prayer, but turn to fasting. Turn to fasting, just like Esther and Mordecai and the Jews did of their day. It does get God's attention, just like we found out in Esther. But there are other things that we can fast from. Let's look. Uh, In the book of Daniel... I'll give you the overview. Daniel was another captive into another land. And Daniel was taken captive with a bunch of other Israelites, a bunch of other Jewish people. And Daniel ended up becoming, as he got older, part of the king's kind of like council. He became a very important man in the kingdom. Well, of course, Daniel was a very dedicated man of God. So there were other people that were important in the king's kind of command. And so they kind of saw that the king really took a partial liking to Daniel, and they did not like it at all. So Daniel would go home every day after he would do his service in the morning to the king or something, or he'd wake up in the morning to the king, and he'd get down on his hands and knees, and he'd worship God. So these evil, wicked men who didn't like Daniel because the king really took a liking to him— They said, man, we got to stop this, man, because otherwise, you know, I want to be like where Daniel's at. It was all jealousy. It was all pride. So what did they do? They went to the king, and again, they tricked the king, saying, oh, great king. Oh, great king. You know, nobody should listen to anybody but you. I think, king, that you should make a time when if anybody listens to anybody but you, or if they try to pray to anybody else other than your God or you, then I think that that should be it for them. And so the king, being prideful, because he wasn't really a godly man, he's like, well, that sounds good. You know, what, is, what, is, what were they what were they appealing to? They were appealing to the king's pride. If anybody prays or talks anything other than to you or your God or to you, O great king, let him be put to death for 30 days or whatever the timeout was. So he, of course, according to his pride, he's like, well, that sounds pretty good, man. Who wouldn't like that, right? Yeah, just man, everybody all about me for all this amount of time. Absolutely, both the king loved Daniel, and they didn't say why they were doing it. So of course, the very first day after this decree goes out, Daniel, here's the decree. He doesn't care. He's a godly man. He says, "I'm going to worship my God no matter what. I don't care what the king says. I'm going to worship my God." Well, the the men were waiting and lying in wait for him. They saw him in his room doing it. They went right to the king and said, "Oh, king, It ain't that long. And look, somebody's already broke the decree. Somebody's already done it. Somebody's already blown it. Well, 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 who is it? Well, it's Daniel. And the king was gripped. He said, oh, Daniel. Then he realized, what have I done? What have I done? That's Daniel. But then they said to him, king, you know the king's command. You know the agreement of the Medes and the Persians that once a king decrees something, a king can't even go back on it. It must be done. Your decree has to be fulfilled. And he said, so what could he do? He said, all right, all right, let's do it. But if nothing happens, he's going to be set free. So we go to Daniel 6, 16 through 18. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. That was a a firm thing. So what did the king do? He called out to Daniel and said a really good thing. Hey, Daniel, I believe your God's going to do it. So did he leave from there and say, okay, that's it. Hey, you know, Lord, I know you got it. Hey, I know it's a terrible situation. And I know Daniel's going to be thrown up with the lions, and these lions are probably going to devour him, and that's going to be it. He's going to be nothing but bones and and ligaments tomorrow morning. Oh, well, oh, that's it. I'm going home. I'm done. No. Verse 18. Then now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Now remember with Esther and Mordecai and the Jews, it was food. And then even with the second time with Esther, it was no food or drink. But but with King Darius here, it was fasting from pleasurable things for the night, sleep, music, etc. So if you don't know the ending of Daniel, which you may not, the king gets done with his night of fasting. He didn't sleep. He didn't eat. He didn't get his nice music sung to him. He didn't get any nice pleasurable things at night. He fasted and really what he did was he called out to God for Daniel. A God that he really didn't even know, only but through Daniel. But still, he fasted because he knew that he's the one that did that terrible thing to this poor, righteous, godly man, Daniel. And he knew that he had to do something. So what's the only thing he did? He fasted. He said, I'm going to afflict my, my flesh for this poor man that I was a knucklehead and did. And so he did. So he runs back to the, to the cave the next morning, and they roll away the, the, the stone from the cave. And lo and behold, there's Daniel, still alive. Because God had shut the mouths of the lions. He saw the kings fast. He saw that Daniel was a righteous man. And. God shut the mouths of the lions. So the King Darius had Daniel taken up out. And then he said, now you, wicked men. And he threw the wicked men in there. And before, the Bible says that even before their feet hit the ground, the lions had already started devouring them. Of course, you can't blame them. They had just gone a whole night seeing a good steak dinner before them, but then they couldn't eat. So, of course, these three guys, I'm sure they were being, you know, lords of the land. They probably weren't real thin. So the lions had a good feast that night. So there was a godly king also. His name was Jehoshaphat. He had a problem. What was the problem and how did he handle it? Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a big section of scripture, so bear with me. We'll get through it. Let's find out what his problem was. It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came to Jehoshaphat saying a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria and they are in Hazazon Tamar which is in Engedi and Jehoshaphat feared So Jehoshaphat had a problem He was a godly guy and he lived for the Lord he did some great reforms in his day So but then bad things still happen to good people as we still see this day so what happened here is a whole bunch of armies from a whole bunch of lands all of a sudden said, we want to capture, we want to destroy Israel, we just want to come and take them captive. There was War it was a common thing in Jehoshaphat's day. So Jehoshaphat, you know, Israel really wasn't all that big. And so Jehoshaphat sees this huge problem before him. I'm in deep doo-doo here. What do I do? Oh no, they're going to wipe us out. They're going to destroy us. So what did he do? Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then, like I said, along with fasting, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers. So this is a great prayer now he's praying, are you not God in heaven and do not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand is there not power and might? So he's professing God's power, God's ability to take care of this situation while he's fasting. Terrible situation. He fasted, set his heart to seek the Lord. Now he's praying and he's professing. He's talking to God and he's professing all these awesome things and he's Tucking to God and praying, and that's what we we need to do that too. This is a great example. He says, "So that no one is able to withstand you, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name's sake." If disaster comes upon us, swore a judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear and save. And so he goes through and he tells God all the things that are going on. And all he tells God all the judgments that are, all the things, the bad things that are happening. And not, you know, we already know from last week's scripture, God already knows the plights that we're in. He already knows the bad situations that we're in, even before we pray and ask him to fix them. But he still says, come to me and pray. He still knows that we have struggles, and he still knows, and he still wants us to come to him and fast. So what happens a little later on down the road, as I realize we can't go through the whole thing, basically God comes in a mighty way and speaks through a prophet, and he says, I've heard your prayer. Don't worry. I've seen what you're doing, Jehoshaphat. I've seen the sacrifice that you're making. No one will enter into this land. You'll be safe. I'll keep them back. You'll be safe. So, Jehoshaphat's prayer, seeking the Lord. Jehoshaphat had a big problem. He had a big problem, but he handled it in the most awesome way he could. He set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast and prayed his heart out. And God heard his prayer and saw his fast and delivered the children of Israel from the disaster that was fallen upon them. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's our God. So in our last Old Testament example, we look at Ezekiel chapter 8, where Ezekiel was, or I'm sorry, Ezra, excuse me, Ezra chapter 8, where Ezra was in a a very betwixt situation himself. Ezra was... In another land, captive again. But God was moving on the hearts of the Jews to move the people back to the land of Israel. Okay. Well, it was a dangerous time because the people of the land really didn't want the Jewish people back in their land. So there was another king that Ezra served. And the king said, go ahead on. I'll send you back. Go your way. So now here Ezra is with these other leaders. And now he's standing at this river after the king let him go. And you know, he's got all these provisions from the king. The king not only let him go, but the king also gave him a bunch of provisions to go and to start. their their back, you know, inhabiting their land. So now Ezra realizes something while he's standing there at this river. Well, we got a lot of cash on us. We got a lot of dough. We got a lot of materials here. What if, as we're walking through the land, people... Go to attack us. Knowing that, you know, as they see an envoy, it was very common, when you see an envoy back then, envoys would get ambushed and they would get swiped. They would steal all their stuff and even kill the people. So, Ezra seeing this difficult situation lying before him, right, as they're kind of starting out this huge journey that they're going to have back to the land of Israel. So, what does he do? He's worried. He's got concern. He's stressed. What happens if we make this journey? And they... We don't make it, or they take all of our stuff. What do we do? We go to Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because... Because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those who uh, all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him verse 23 so we fasted and entreated our God for this and what do you think God did? God answered their prayer that's the very next line and God answered our prayer God led them to at that time he told Ezra and Ezra didn't talk about this he just says that I started to do it divide everything that you have that you've gotten from the king give it to these different holy men just a little bit to this guy and 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 And then as you go go but now you're all separate going so that you know Obviously, and in that even made sense in my mind and even in Ezra's mind, let's say that one guy gets ambushed, well then that only a little bit of that treasure that they had would get taken. But nevertheless, how does it end? So Ezra goes through and talks about how they weighed out the silver and gold and gave it to this person and that person and so on and so forth. He says, then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now the fourth, now on the fourth day, the silver and gold and articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Mermoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with them was Eliezer, the son of Phineas. With them were the Levites, Jezebel, the son of Joshua, and Nodiah, the son of Bunai, with the number and weight of... Everything. All the weight was written down at the time. So, Ezra had a terrible situation. He had a difficult time. He realized I need to do something about my difficult situation. What do I do? I've got all this stuff. I can't go. I'm worried now. So on and so forth. So what happened? What did God tell him to do? Separate it all. And when we do it God's way, when we fast and pray, look what happened. He got delivered from any bad or evil thing on the road. And they got there. And when they got there... It all worked out, and they had everything. So all I could say is, by those examples, and by examples of my life even, praise God that he gives us this way in which we can come to him and seek him in this special way. Just a couple examples from the New Testament. Um, We go to Acts 14, and we see that Paul had just been stoned while he was preaching the gospel in this one city, and he was stoned to death. And as he lay there stoned to death, these other Christians gathered around him. They were probably praying. Anyway, he rose up. So, next 14, we read 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul had a terrible thing happen to him. Very dangerous situation happened to him. And this was a very common thing in those days. Christians, a lot of you know, New Testament Christians in an early, early church were persecuted even unto death. So Paul got stoned. He rose back up. Went into the next city. Preaching again. Right as he was going to leave, what he did was he took from everybody. He appointed elders and deacons and leaders of the new Christian churches that were going to be in the areas where Paul was. So he didn't just pray and ask God for help and guidance and so on and so forth for the new elders and deacons and pastors and stuff. He prayed with fasting. So in this a fasting example, we have to fast. We are, Paul fasted to commend folks to the Lord. Uh, So it would be a fast for protection and guidance, just like we saw in the Ezra example. These are two last New Testament examples, Acts 13, 1-3. I'll read it. Now, the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaim, uh, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So what were they doing? They had just gotten back from a long journey, a missionary journey. And as they were going out, you know, they were preaching the gospel in every place. Now they were back for some R&R. Paul wasn't actually Paul yet, he was Saul. So as they're there for some R and R, what are they doing when they're R and R and they're resting and relaxing from their long journey? They were praying together. They were getting together as men, they were getting together as Christians, and they were praying. But they weren't just praying. They were fasting. Why were they fasting in this case? They were fasting one, they were fasting to seek the Lord. They were fasting, what direction do you want me to go, Lord? Where should I go? What should I do? Do you see these examples of how God says, this is how I want you to do it? If it was for them, it's for us today. We can't just say, well, that fasting was for them. Well, you know, I don't have to fast anymore. Jesus said we should fast. We see New Testament examples of fasting and praying um, for direction, for guidance, for help in times of difficult situations. We all have difficult situations. We all have times. When things get tough, do we just pray? Or how intent are we into saying, God, I really want you to answer. I really need your guidance in this. I'm just not seeing you clearly what you want me to do. Fast and pray is what God is saying is the way. So praise God that he gave us his biblical examples of fasting. Um, Now, fasting can be staying away from food. Or just keeping yourself from something you really enjoy. You can keep yourself from coffee, soft drinks, sweets, TV, etc. As we each have different things that we love to do, God, of course, knows each individual man's heart. Whenever you love the do the most, and you really are seeking God on something, then you're just not getting an answer for whatever reason, or drawing closer unto the Lord. And you say, you know what? I really love this thing. I really love TV. You know what, Lord, to show you that I'm really, Lord, I really want to grow closer with you this week. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from TV for one week, Lord. Just, just for a week, I really want to get closer to you. I'm going to put this thing out of my life. I'm going to fast for TV. But there is one thing for sure, that if you set your heart to seek the Lord and fast and pray, the Lord knows your heart and will answer you in some way. That is for sure. Again, fasting tells God that we are serious about a certain thing, that we are willing to put our wants and desires on hold for a set time. It shows him that we are willing to suffer in the flesh to get his attention and get an answer to that certain difficult issue that we are struggling in. Look at these last three things. I want you to guess in your mind which one could be the one that's the fasting. So imagine someone wanting something or asking or seeking something, and they're Oh hey, um, by the way, um, w- would you be able to uh, to, to get me that? I, r- I really need that thing over there. would you would you grab that for me? So of course, as they ask they, they don't get what they request. So then they turn to and they, hey, hey, really, I need that thing. would you please get it for me? I'm really I really need that. I, I really I, I, I need that. I'm just struggling. I, I need you to help me out with this. I please. Get me that. Or, lastly, this person starts screaming and shouting while they're jumping up and down. They're waving their arms all around. I mean, they're yelling at the top of their lungs nonstop for this thing or this answer that they desire to get. Then as a result of how they ask that way, they shall receive what they have asked for. Think of that how they were acting. This last example, jumping up and down, screaming at the top of your lungs, yelling, shouting, hey, please, I need it, I need this, I need it. Well, that's fasting unto God. When he sees that you're willing to afflict yourself for something that you're really seeking him on, and you're willing to put down the thing that you really enjoy, the thing that you really love, he says, I hear that one. So, what's up with God? How is it that he makes us fast and go through suffering to get answers or breakthroughs to prayer sometimes? Or to get his protection or guidance at certain times when we are seeking it? Is God evil in this aspect? I say, God forbid. These are the reasons. Absolutely not. Let me explain. There are a few reasons why fasting is important for our Christian walks. Number one, sometimes and we all have this, sometimes I can't hear God clearly for whatever reason. There's just so many distractions in my life. There's so many things going on. Here's what fasting does. Just like a blind person, with a blind person, a blind person hearing is much more accentuated than a person that can see and hear when you can't see your body compensates by you're not being able to see by using your ears and generally blind people have amazing hearing a person that's in a wheelchair what happens is is they have to be in a wheelchair because they can't use their legs so they have no legs that means whatever they do they can't be in that wheelchair so what happens is their upper body gets stronger because they can't use their legs and so in essence, their upper body gets stronger. Well, that's what fasting does. Our senses, there's so many voices in the world. There's so many things in this world that can get our attention. TV and cell phones and things of that such. Cars and, you know, just jobs and everything that we've got going on. Things can get make our just our senses to God even get just dull sometimes. So when you fast, you again you don't eat so that your body doesn't eat so now you're hungry, but while you're hungry again you're going you're not just sitting there, you're going off and you're praying. You're stopping whatever the noise and the distractions are in your life. Just like a blind person that can't see, and all of a sudden you're able because you're separating yourself and you're cutting one thing off and you're not allowing your body to just, you know, have that pleasurable thing. And then at that point a lot of times we'll hear God because we stopped doing that pleasurable thing and we fasted and then we're off and we're seeking God's face. I know sometimes with me, this is number two reason, I know sometimes with me there's some sin in my life sometimes. But maybe I don't know that there's this sin in my life and I've just been doing this sin and I don't even realize it. So what happens is when you fast and you're able to hear God clear as a result of your fasting, God reveals to you, hey, you got this sin in your life. Oh, I do. Well, until you really fasted and took a break and slowed down and went away and you know sook God in His face while you were fasting, you're not going to hear about that sin you have in your life because you're too busy, cut up in your life doing what you got to do. And number three, we can't, we can't, you know, reject this one. I am certain that the Lord in certain areas of our life wants to test us, because the Bible does say that God does test people. He doesn't tempt people, but God does test people, that he'll test us and see how much we really want that answer to that prayer. How much are we really willing to deny ourselves and seek his face to get that answer, or to get that job, or, or to get that breakthrough in that struggle that we're having with sin, or whatever it may be. I know that God looks and he says, how much, do they really, how much dedication are they willing to put forth to me? If they're only going to pray about it 30 seconds a day, that, that really doesn't show me that they're really that uh, intent on getting that problem solved in their lives. So God puts us to the test. Do you really want that gone? Fast. Fast. And guess what? When we fast, we'll find breakthroughs to situations and things that we're struggling with that we are dealing with. When we fast... And we seek his face. So today we saw examples of people in the Bible that fasted for protection, direction, help in time of life and debt situations, guidance for their lives and walks with God, and even for seeking God's face. Fasting is an absolute must with our walks with the Lord, just like prayer and alms and Evangelism and all the things that God wants us to do, listening to his word and going to church, fasting is a part of the Christian's life, just like all these other things that God desires his children to do. Fasting brings clarity to our minds and closeness with God when we do it right, according to verse, uh, chapter, 16, or chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Make sure you're fasting in a right way, not fasting for others to see Fasting only for God, you know, just so Him, it's between Him and you when you do it the right way. Uh, Are you struggling with something in your life right now that you don't seem to be getting an answer about? Fast and pray something until you get the answer to that thing you're struggling with or that prayer that you've got out there that you just don't see God answering in your life. And as you fast and as you pray, you'll be seeking the Lord more as well too. And you will get whatever, you will get an answer from God one way or the other. Either no, I just don't want that way for you, go another way. Or the floodgates will open and God will allow that thing that you're struggling with to vanish away. And you'll have success. Jesus would have never spoke the words, when you fast, if he didn't ever want us to practice it. So Christian fast something often, whatever it is fast something and often because fasting helps God know that you want to grow closer with him as well too fast and pray, now maybe you're out there listening and you don't know the Lord and you're sitting there saying to yourself, ah oh, it's fasting this is ridiculous, why would anybody want to fast that it, that's just seems like God is evil or you know whatever, I don't know why do I have to fast, well maybe you've never fasted Or maybe you've fasted, but you've done it in a wrong religious type of way. Of course, you're fasting so that others can see that. Well, in fact, fasting, giving of alms, prayer, or anything that Jesus commanded his followers to practice, that's what he wants Christians to do. Do you not practice anything that God wants you to do? Because if you're not fasting, what else aren't you doing? You're Out there, and you're not fasting. You don't do anything for the Lord. Well, Jesus Himself said, "It's only those that do the will of the Father that shall enter the kingdom of heaven." And I don't preach a works salvation, but I do say that if you are, if you want to know God, God says you need to repent. You need to turn away from yourself, turn away from your life, turn away from the way you live, and you need to turn to Him. And then in that, when you turn to Him, we don't, you don't to get saved. You don't do the things so that you may be saved. But as you repent and you turn your life to God, you realize that I need him and I want to love him. And then as you turn your heart to him and you say, I want to love him, how can you not do the things that God wants you to do? If you're fasting and praying in wrong ways and you're listening to this out there somewhere, wherever you are, God, Jesus is very plain here in Matthew six sixteen through 18. Do not pray, do, or do not fast so that others may see your fasting. And give you the credit. Turn away from that and come to relationship with God because religious duties, just doing these things won't get you seen by God unless you're doing them the right way and unless, of course, you're coming from the right heart. Anyway, praise God. God desires none to perish but all to come to repentance. Turn away from your sinful lifestyle. Turn away from your hypocritical religious lifestyle and turn to Christ now before it's too late and cry out to him. Please, because it won't be your fault. Or it won't be God's fault that you're in hell someday burning there. It'll be your fault that you never desire to seek God and come to God. Or even desire to do any of the things that he told you to do. And so come now. Please come now. Cry out to him in your heart and pray. Let's pray, guys. Thank you so much. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this section of scripture. We thank you for the examples that you gave us of the Christian life on how to live. God, as I talked about last week, Lord, it is a proof of your love that you even give us the ways in which we ought to do things. Because the fact that you give us those ways to do things means that you're trying to give us the key to things that you love. And Jesus, you said it, it is those that love me that keep my commandments. So Lord, you desire all people to turn to you and none to burn in hell and none to perish. Forever, Lord God, you want everybody to have eternal life. And I just pray for the person out there that's listening that's either a religious or while they're doing it because they want to be seen by men or they're, well, they're just doing it because it's the religious thing to do. Because, Lord, your words here in Matthew say that if we don't fast in the right way, you just don't see it. And we've gotten our reward from men. You just won't see it, Lord. I pray that they would turn away from their sin and fast so that you and only you can see their fast. And Lord, I pray for the Christians out there that are listening, Lord God. I pray that we would seek your face more and we would pray more and we would seek your face more and we would fast more things that are in our lives that we love so that, A, we can get closer to you and, B, so that we, Lord, those things in our lives that we just don't see breakthroughs on, we just don't see you moving, oh, we've been praying about them for a long time and we just don't see you moving in them. Lord, help us to fast. Lord, so that we can be that person jumping and shouting and screaming at the top of our lungs, waving our arms and our hands to you, saying, Oh, God, please rescue this person or that person. Lord, God, please save this person or that person. Or, Oh, Lord, God, please, I need that job. Lord, you know how much I need work. Lord, why don't I see a job coming yet? Or, Lord, whatever the thing we're struggling with is, anybody that's listening out there, Lord, I pray we'd seek your face and we'd fast And we'd show you how serious we are, Lord God. I pray that we would be men to seek your face, that we would be men and women to cut out ourselves and our desires and our wants, to see your will be done, your desires be done, to see the things that you want for us in our lives, Lord God, so that we may have your perfect will done in our lives, because your perfect will is the best will for our lives. Thank you, Lord God. May your Holy Spirit move in a powerful way, Lord God, Amongst all that heard this or ever hear this in our lives, Lord God, as we continue to go out and live and do the things that you call us to do. And I ask and pray all these things in the mighty name and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.